นโมตัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมตัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมตัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสามิอิโตปรังสกจังธรรมโมโสตโพตีกรีกิงเอฟิบอดีทุกวันนี้คือวันที่26เมษายน Our visit here from Thailand to Buddha Bodhimana Monastery, and today um, all of us have gathered here together um, to do um, some meditation together uh, and the evening chanting, which is a time when we recollect the virtues of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And this practice of Buddhist chanting helps us to calm our minds, focus them on the Dharma, giving them uh, a coolness and peacefulness, which is very conducive to receiving the Dharma. It's a form of meditation, and it helps us to prepare the mind to listen to a Dharma talk. When we gather together to practice meditation and to chant. We use this as the object for our mindfulness for developing sati, and as we chant, we can recollect the very teachings that the Buddha gave us, the meaning of those teachings in each chant. And as we do this with mindfulness, it can often give rise to a sense of inner joy and happiness as we chant, and help us to. Contemplate those teachings, going, let them go into the heart a little bit deeper every time we contemplate. Um, these teachings of the Buddha are pointing to the truth about existence, about our lives, and as we contemplate them, then our faith and our confidence in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha as a true refuge will grow. As we contemplate the meaning, meaning of that that refuge that uh, we, we're we're looking for and that we take, we see that the Buddha is uh, the founder of the, the religion, the teachings. He's the one who discovered the way of practice that leads to the end of suffering. He's the one who pointed out the truth uh, and pointed out the way of practice. He said that. Um, The way for beings to develop themselves spiritually to find the end of suffering, they have to develop in a gradual way through the practice of dana, sila, samadhi, and panya, and particularly the practice of uh, mental cultivation or meditation, where we have practice of samatha or calm, tranquility, and the practice of vipassana or insight meditation. All of these um, parts of the path help us to develop ourselves um, to the point where we can see uh, and understand the truth, and that is the same, very same truth that the Buddha himself discovered and penetrated. And it, by understanding this truth, it brings peace to our hearts, and the peace that he experienced, we can also experience it if we pursue the practice. It's this cool happiness of mind uh, that comes as the result of any wholesome actions we perform through uh, body, speech, or mind. Uh, these, this is the result of the practice. It's this contentment, this inner happiness, and not only do we experience it, but it will affect the lives of others around us. Um, just as. This monastery here, by building this monastery, Buddha Bodhiwana Monastery, um, can be a focal point, a place that gives rise to this cool happiness, not just in the hearts of the sangha who practice here, but also all the laity who come here, who participate in the practice here. They uh, 
help to support the monastery and they come here to practice meditation and listen to the teachings. Um, it's important to see that it's necessary to have places like this where you can practice the teachings in a very pure way and dedicate, commit yourself to the teachings and to reflect and to see that this is something that's very uh, necessary and beneficial for ourselves and for others and we should really commit ourselves to the practice and making the best use of a place such as this, this Buddha Bodhiwana Monastery. It's important to see that in practice we have to build ourselves a strong foundation in wholesome uh, goodness, wholesome karma. Just as when you build a hall such as the hall we built here, you need strong foundations if that hall is going to last a long time and be a, a useful building. Similarly, in our practice, we have to build very strong foundations inside our hearts. We have to build a strong foundation of mindfulness and wisdom and see that. We have to be strong in our commitment to living in a, a moral way. Um, as you all have right now, you're keeping the, the five precepts, um, practicing in a restrained, calm way, coming here like this. When we keep precepts and we practice mindfulness in our daily lives, learning to live in a restrained, moral way, it naturally brings up a sense of inner happiness and peace. And this is also the foundation for developing that peace in a more concentrated way through the practice of meditation, where we give rise to states of samadhi or calm, uh, where the mind has a sense of kindness uh, towards other beings, sense of forgiveness for others and a sense of renunciation learning how to give up attachment to the world to different things for a higher good um, for the good of others and for the good of um, ourselves for developing ourselves in a spiritual way this is the way of the Buddha all these different factors these qualities are what the Buddha encourages us to develop for the ending of suffering the more we come to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha as a refuge, uh, the more we will have states of awareness arise in the mind. Um, the more this will prepare us and help us um, in the practice. Um, we take refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha and then we develop awareness on meditation objects such as the breathing. We know the in-breath, we know the out-breath and we focus on this. When we practice like this regularly, it helps us to deal with all the mental proliferation, the different states of mind and thinking that comes up normally in our daily lives. Most of the time we're thinking a lot and much of this thinking takes us to suffering. So the practice of meditation and mindfulness helps us to restrain this, restrain this tendency of mind and prepare it for receiving the Dharma, the truth. Uh, with mindfulness. We can see that right now as we practice meditation and calm the mind then it helps to prepare the mind for understanding say the Dhamma of this talk. Even as I talk and as Jan Kalyano translates we might be able to understand some points of truth that we've never quite understood before. We might be able to penetrate things a little bit deeper. So we do practice to understand the truth, understand the truth of nature and understand the, the way things are. And the Buddha taught that the way things are is the, to taught us to understand that things are anicca, dukkha, anatta, they're impermanent, unsatisfactory and not self. He taught us to contemplate the Four Noble Truths, to see the First Noble Truth, that there is dukkha, there is stress and suffering in life, we have that. We have unhappy states of mind, we have pain in our bodies, discomfort, uh, we have mental discomfort, we have different states and situations where we don't get what we want, we have separation from the things, the people we like and love. All of these different experiences we call dukkha, we call suffering, and this is where we have to learn, we have to really learn, contemplate, to see this as dukkha, as suffering, as a noble truth, to know well, this is the noble truth of suffering, it's like this. So if we are to study and investigate 
dukkha, stress and suffering, then we must, um, we'll, we'll naturally want to look for a way out from it. Once we get to know it, we become familiar with it. We want to find a way out of suffering. And for this we have to rely on the Buddha. The Buddha's metta, his compassion, his kindness, which was limitless, was for all beings. Um, he practiced himself in his own life, then became enlightened, and then through that enlightened experience he understood the way out of suffering and he taught that for um, over 40 years to, to different people, to all beings, for, for their benefit. And what he taught, the heart of it, was these four noble truths. Um, that there is stress, there is suffering, dukkha. That suffering has a cause, samutaya. It has an end, niroda, and there's a path that leads to the end of suffering, the marga. Um, he taught samudaya, the cause of dukkha or suffering. That, you know, when we have stress or suffering in life, it doesn't just appear out of nowhere for no reason. All the stress and suffering we experience, it has a cause. And it's our duty, our um, job, to actually investigate in our own minds, in our own hearts, to see this, to look for where the cause is, where does the suffering come from. Um, as long as we have no clarity, uh, no peace in our minds, um, we'll tend to um, miss this, we'll get caught into more dukkha, more suffering, because we don't see the cause, we don't, we're not aware or clear about what the cause is. When we're not aware, we're not clear, we're, we're confused, then we'll tend to um, speak in confused ways that lead to suffering, we'll think in confused ways that lead to suffering, um, we'll act in confused ways that lead to suffering. Um, but the more we investigate the cause of suffering in our minds and see it happening, see it arising, occurring, um, then we'll be able to understand uh, what the cause of suffering is, we'll understand what suffering is, the result of that, and this will help us in dealing with it, finding the way out of suffering. It's only when you know suffering as suffering, as a noble truth, you can see it for what it is, then you can see the cause of it for what it is. It's only then that you'll be able to see the path that leads, leads out of it. Um, it's very much like, say, something very natural, like eating food. When you're hungry, when you know you're hungry, you know, oh, now I'm hungry, then you'll start seeking food. And when you eat food, you know what food is, you eat it, then you'll end your hunger and you'll feel better. But it's just the same. When you really get to know the state of dukkha and you start to see what the cause is, what the remedy is, and you'll apply the remedy and you'll, you'll be able to end your suffering and feel the benefit of the practice uh, that you've done, you'll experience the end of suffering and the happiness that comes from that. One time I was staying with Venerable Ajahn Chah in a branch monastery and a group of Koreans came to visit, led by a Korean monk. And they'd been visiting many teachers uh, around Thailand asking the same set of questions. Uh, the questions that they asked Lumpo Chah was um, Why do we practice the Dhamma? For what reason? How do we practice the Dhamma? And having practiced the Dhamma, what result can we expect from the practice? And Lumpo Cha didn't just answer directly, he actually answered by giving them another set of questions. He said, why do we eat food? For what reason? How do we eat? And having eaten, what result do you get? How do you feel? And um, from this, the Korean monk and his group were very happy. This was a very unusual answer. They'd never received this answer before, but they immediately understood what he was pointing to. They were very satisfied. Uh, they saw that you know, the, the, sim the obvious simile that it's because we have suffering that we think of practicing and look for a way out of it. Uh, the practice is, is the way out. We have to do the practice that's what we have to do to, to get to the end of suffering. And the result of the practice is state of end of suffering. Very similar, we eat because we're hungry, uh, eating by eating food, that's what we have to do. And then the result is we feel full, we feel happy, the hunger is gone. It's just the same thing.
So this is what we're studying and learning and practicing. We're learning about the cause of dukkha, cause of suffering. And Buddha said it's divided it up into craving, the three types of craving we have. Um, Bhavadanha, craving for becoming, Vipavadanha, the craving for non-becoming or aversion, and Gamadanha, which is like craving for sensual desire. This um, process of we call conditioning uh, that affects the mind because of the presence of ignorance, with lack of mindfulness, lack of wisdom, when we have sense contact, this will give rise to craving, tanha, these three different types of craving. From that, as this happens more often, then it hardens, it becomes upatana, or deep clinging attachment in the mind. These are conditioned states that one can observe arising in the mind in the present moment. So this is the place of practice. For instance, when our eyes see a form, if we have no mindfulness, awareness or understanding, then it will immediately give rise to states of liking and attraction or disliking, aversion. And this is what we call kilesa, these mental defilements which take us on to suffering. They create craving and attachment in the mind and from that feeds all kinds of mental proliferation, thinking, stressful thinking and so on. It's the cause of all the becoming and the very cause of our future births. Uh, Lumpur Chara said this is where we have to contemplate, really watch this process, see how suffering arises as we're not mindful when we have sense contact, it will give rise to this, these different calaces and if we don't contemplate this then we'll keep suffering over and over again. So as we practice we're observing our hearts and mind every moment we observe Every moment that there's sense contact, um, when our eyes see forms, our ears contact sounds, mouth contacts taste, nose contacts smells, body has touch, and the mind itself contacts sense or uh, concepts and ideas. We observe this process where at that point attraction and aversion can arise, and how any attraction and aversion arises of different kinds of craving and glacia that arise at that point they lead on to dukkha, suffering in different forms so the more we develop sati, mindfulness at this point the more we'll experience a coolness and a detachment of our heart um, so that we don't keep falling into those moods of attraction and aversion we have more of a sense of separation, the mind being cool and observing things as they are, um, we can see that any time that these kilesa arise, these moods of attachment, attraction and aversion, there are, it has a very hot effect on the mind, it heats the mind up, whether it's moods based on greed, anger or delusion, they heat the mind up, confuse it and bring it to suffering. Nibbāna is the opposite of this. Nibbāna is a state of coolness where the kilesas have faded and been exhausted so the mind becomes very cool. It's very far away from the heat of the kilesas. And this practice uh, and, and this state of Nibbāna arises from the, the Marga, the path, the Eightfold Noble Path that we're practicing. It begins with Samādhiti, right view, wisdom. When we have a right view understanding what is wholesome karma, unwholesome karma. This informs our practice, guides our practice. And the more right view we, we develop, this will develop into right thought, right action, right speech, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. These are all path factors that support each other and arise in the mind, uh, in our hearts, as we practice. Uh, if we have uh, mindfulness and we keep developing and bringing up mindfulness every moment um, then we'll see that the true nature of every mental state every mood, every thought that we get caught into it's really it's something that is not sure, it's uncertain uh, if we like something it's not sure, it can change if we dislike something it's not sure, it can change we love, we hate all these different moods we have are impermanent uh, if we keep investigating this, keep using our mindfulness and wisdom to investigate this, 
um, and establish mindfulness at every sense contact, then these kilesas will be uh, seen and they won't have anywhere to stay in the mind because we'll see them for what they are. They're, they're not sure, they're not anything real, substantial that we, we should believe in or attach to. They're, they're uncertain. If we see this truth and keep applying it to all, all the time in our daily lives, we see the, the and each other, dukkha, the anatta of our experience, um, the kalesa will naturally be unable to form or stay very long in the mind. They'll keep uh, fading away and disappearing. Uh, and we'll keep replacing them with more sati, more panya, and the mind will become more peaceful because of this. And we'll see that this is the result of our practice. We'll know, oh, by practicing like this, I'm actually able to develop more peace, more clarity in my heart. We'll see that when there is mindfulness and wisdom present in the, the heart, in the mind, it will have a, an effect um, to illuminate the mind. It brings it to a sense of radiance, clarity and peace. When we lose our mindfulness and wisdom, we'll see that it brings back suffering. We, we get suffering again because, because we've lost those qualities. So this is uh, what keeps us going to keep practicing, um, moving towards that Niroda, the third, third noble truth, the realization of the end of suffering by having practiced the path. Um, it's by developing mindfulness and wisdom that's the only way we can really keep these mental defilements and our greed, hate and delusion in check and keep them in a place where they, they have no power over the mind, they can't stay in the mind. So this is the purpose of our practice. We practice dana, we practice sila, we practice meditation, we practice chanting, we listen to the Dharma. It's all for this end of suffering. Uh, just as that um, phrase that the Buddha gave on the, the, the day of the night of Magha Puja, Sabha-bhapasa-karanam, uh, abandoning the unwholesome. This is what we mean by the practice of sila or restraint, uh, letting go and abandoning our unwholesome tendencies of body and speech and mind. Kusala Supasampada, developing the wholesome. That means practicing dana, practicing metta, practicing meditation. Satchita Pariyotapanam, learning to purify the mind as a result of this practice. We have to keep trying with this, keep developing, don't give up. Even though it might seem hard, and we have many other duties, we have work, we have our family commitments, don't give up. We have to really um, commit ourselves to the practice, we have to establish faith in the path. And this comes from taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. Uh, it comes from listening to the Dhamma, understanding the way to practice, and then bringing up sati, bringing up uh, wisdom by contemplating the Dhamma. And the more we do this, little by little, the radiance of mind will come up. Um, just like um, Little by little, when you have a tap that's dripping drops of water, those drops of water, as they drop, 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 little by little, they'll join together into a, become a flow, a steady flow of water. So when we practice mindfulness, at first it might just be occasional moments and flashes of mindfulness, but the more effort we put in, the more those mind, moments of mindfulness will join together and to be, join up to become a continuous flow of mindfulness. Um, we have to do it by keep putting effort into being mindful of just basic things like our posture, our activities, what we're doing, focusing on the mind, what we're thinking, getting to know ourselves, know our mind and its moods, whether it's moods of liking, attraction or aversion, disliking. Um, in the end we can start to study and see through this what we call the conventional reality of things, the samuti satcha. We see that these are just the appearance of things, the labels and the, uh, the attachments that we put onto the world and the importance we give to things. But really they have, these things have no real substance. They're just conventional reality which arises and passes away and has no uh, deep or lasting meaning. When we contemplate this body in this way, we see that this body that we call our body, my body, it comes from food and drink that we take in 
um, which support the, uh, the arising, what we call the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water. We absorb in more and more of these four elements, and so our body grows up, becomes from a baby to a child to a youth to an adult. And the four elements come together, fed by more food, more drink. And we, through our ignorance, we label this as a person, don't we? We say, this is me, it's them, us, them, me, mine, my body. But when we practice the path, we develop mindfulness and wisdom and we investigate the truth, we see that actually this thing that we call a person, a me, a mine, an I, is just anicca, dukkha, anatta. These four elements that make up this body, they're anicca, dukkha, anatta. They're not going to last forever, are they? They break up, they change their, their nature, they break up, they get old, they degenerate, and eventually they'll separate and completely disappear. The more we contemplate this with mindfulness, with wisdom, we can see that really these four elements are empty. We say empty of self, there's no real self in them. This is seeing the Buddha inside of things, seeing the Buddha inside of our heart. The Buddha said, one who sees the truth, sees the emptiness in things, one who sees the Dhamma like that, then they see the Buddha. This is really seeing the real Buddha inside of us. When we penetrate through the conventional reality, the conventional appearance and reality of things, we understand it, we know it, then of course the mind will come to peace. Our greed, our anger, our delusion will gradually decrease, getting less and less, because it's, there's nothing more to delude us about the world. And the mind will naturally become clearer, more peaceful because of this, more radiant. All of this arises from the practice. Uh, it arises out of our faith in the teachings of the Buddha. Once we have faith and confidence in the teachings, then we'll put effort into practicing them. If we have faith in the enlightenment of the Buddha and the potential of each human being to, for enlightenment, uh, we take refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, then we'll have that motivation, that energy to really put, put our hearts into the practice. And we'll have a standard, a guideline for our life, um, something that we can use um, to give us direction in our lives. We'll know if, if we take the Buddha and Dhamma Sangha as our refuge, then that gives us a very clear guideline of what's right, wrong, good and bad in life. And if we have that commitment, that refuge, then and we really take it on and practice with it to the, to the fullest of our efforts, then understanding will gradually arise. We'll understand what the path is, the value of the path, what it is, how we have to practice, and we'll see how it leads to true peace, true happiness inside, which is the goal of this practice. So I've spoken for about an hour now, and I'll, I'll leave that with you for your contemplation tonight. Andamayango Adagata Sadu Karangadamase Sadu 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 Adamoda. Telegrams, just asking if anyone has any further questions or any problems or anything they want to discuss or bring up. Just asking where you all live, let's say it's a mixed test. You people are local, you come from further away. I'm not sure this is a question, but it's like, you know, like, if you can maybe, um, I was thinking yesterday when I was in my state of life, uh, how we have progression in the practice. And yes, that. And I have often thought that myself, um, I mean, I feel like I've been working a very strong way, I could be doing it, I do not attend And, uh, even down on the bathroom break, I do it in time for something I do before the month. I do it on and on it goes. And like, sometimes I kind of feel like I'm still here. You know, like I, like I'm stuck in I'm not saying that I'm unhappy. I'm not unhappy. But like, 
Perhaps it's useful to contemplate the wider picture and remember certain things. Um, you might contemplate, even though you might feel perhaps not completely satisfied with your practice as it is now, or feel perhaps you're stuck or um, not getting on as much as you would like. You also have to look at the wider picture, say, compared to times earlier in your life, say, perhaps when you didn't practice so much, you've maybe had at times experiences when you were suffering more than this, and you might compare and say, well, even though I haven't reached the goals I want, uh, and my practice hasn't progressed as far as I want yet, at least I have this foundation, this understanding, this level of practice that I have now, um, and it's already brought me some ha- some happiness. I have a foundation of one level of happiness that perhaps in the past I didn't have. Um, my mind is say brighter than it was in the past when there was more greed, hatred, and delusion, more calculations, more misunderstandings in the mind, uh, which tend to drag the mind down, bring more more unhappiness, more darkness to the mind. Now I can see well at least I have. Um, less of that or if you can't do that with your own life or you just compare with other people in the world there's plenty of people in the world who haven't yet uh, discovered the Dhamma haven't yet found the right way to live in the world and are suffering greatly and you might compare yourself and say well at least I have this level of happiness this level of understanding and practice that I've achieved so far Um, I'm still very fortunate and well off compared to those people Um, and also to compare and think about the future that to see that this is a necessary thing we have to do we do have to go through uh, the practice and develop it in a gradual way we have to practice dana, learn how to live in a moral way, a peaceful way and keep putting efforts into developing mindfulness and it will take some time for deeper states of concentration and calm, deeper insights to develop. You won't necessarily be able to develop them all in one go, but we are already on the path and we're doing, laying the necessary foundations and necessary groundwork for those deeper states of concentration and insight to arise. Maybe maybe it will be in this life, in maybe just another year or two, maybe it will take a longer time, we don't know, but don't worry about that, just keep putting in the wholesome efforts and you can be sure that the mind will gradually develop and cultivate and mature in, in a good way. Um, so don't look, overlook the good that you've done so far uh, just because you haven't achieved, say, the higher goals that you're wishing for. But then, uh, how do we overcome our attachment? Uh, overcome our attachment to family, possession, and personal comfort uh, in order to move from household life to uh, life of uh, homeless life. The important thing is to really look deeply at the truth of life and the fact that um, life is impermanent the only certainty uh, in life is the fact that we're going to die. And when you contemplate this, you see, when we come into the world as a human being, we arrive alone, we're born alone. When we die, we die alone. Um, And really contemplate to see that the uncertainty and the impermanence of life. We We do build up attachment over time for our, particularly ourselves, our own bodies, and the happiness we can have with our own bodies. Uh, we're attached to our loved ones, our family, our friends, our house, our possessions. 
But when we die, we have to separate from them all. We can't take any of them with us, even our own bodies. We separate from that and the happiness that our bodies can give us. So by continually contemplating this truth, um, we'll naturally become a bit more um, detached, a little, a little bit more, you might say, sober, less intoxicated, less infatuated with the world. Um, the more we contemplate like this, the more energy we'll have for the practice. We'll see, oh really, um, I want to find a way out of this attachment because ultimately I, I can't hold on to anything. I can't take my, my loved ones with me, my possessions. In the end we all have to separate and go according to our own karma. There's nothing I can do about that. So for one with wisdom who sees that, then that's their motivation to start practicing. And if we still are in the lay life, we have family duties, we have work and so on, well, you just start practicing the way you can. You um, try to establish the five precepts as the basis, basic guideline of your daily life, and then find time to develop your mindfulness and the practice meditation and so on. And you might develop more discipline in your personal life so that you're once you see that, you know, that ultimately we can't take any of this with us, then um, try to discipline your life and spend less time seeking sensual pleasures and feeding your attachments because you know you can't take these things with you. So then they're less important and the practice becomes more important. So you spend more time meditating, listening to Dhamma, less time seeking sensual pleasures, seeking more attachment with family, friends and so on. Uh, you might move on from just keeping the five precepts, five times to keep the eight precepts. Maybe on your weekends, days off, you can practice the eight precepts. Develop a bit more enunciation where you're not eating in the evening, you're uh, not indulging in entertainments and all those kind of things. You simplify your life even more. And the more you develop this commitment to practice meditation, contemplating the truth, then little by little your, your mind will grow in the Dharma and that sense of detachment and giving up to the Dharma will grow and you know sooner or later you'll reach the point where you feel it's enough, I've lived the lay life enough, I've had enough of my possessions, the family, uh, all of this, it's now time to, to leave this behind and really commit to the Dharma and I'll, I'll be ready to go to the monastery then. You know, when that might be you can't be sure but if you practice in the right way your mind will gradually reach that point. There's a few different points of advice and Tanajan gave. The first is to say for the people, the couple in that position, to widen their perspective again and to see that um, this isn't just the only life we're born. As long as we have uh, ignorance, craving, attachment, then uh, we've been born in the world before, we've had this life and there'll be more lives in the future until we reach the end of suffering and, of, and enlightenment. So even though this life, maybe the couple have no children, um, they might well have had children in past lives and they might come back and in the future have children in the future. Uh, this one life is not uh, yeah, that all their experience they're only going to have. And the Buddha said, you know, we've been born in this world many times, we've actually had many children, many relatives, and so when we look at other people, even though we might feel they're strangers, actually you never know they could be our brothers, sisters, children, relatives from the past, and we should be aware of that perception that they, uh, we are related to others, they're not always going to be strangers, they could be people who've been very close to us in the past. So if we have that wider perspective, um, we see it's not so important, say, if they're feeling down or worried that they're going to die childless. Um, the other thing, uh, perhaps more important in the practice, is just to see that if if you have thoughts that are you know, making you unhappy, say, you're old and you're thinking, I have no children, I'm close to death, 
And so if you keep thinking those thoughts, that those thoughts are negative, they're going to bring you unhappiness. So don't focus on those thoughts. Encourage them to think of the good things that they've done in their lives. They've done, I'm sure, many good things that they can remember, bring up, feel good about, feel happy about. And any good that they're doing now in their lives, they can focus on the Dharma, the practice of Dharma, try to do Dharma, keep the precepts, meditate, listen to the Dharma. This is all uh, things that can bring joy and happiness to their heart and they can develop that more than just, say, dwelling on anything that they find uh, that brings a sense of unhappiness to the mind. And one last point is that Buddha actually said that, you know, if if you don't have children, it actually cuts out a lot of suffering in your life. You don't have to have all the worries and the concerns and the distractions that children and offspring bring you. So, um, you, know, you can actually contemplate how you've been free of that suffering for, for a lifetime. There's a lot of suffering you haven't had to have because you didn't have children. So it's not always just a, a cause of sadness if you think like you have no children, it can be a cause of happiness and sense of awe, being free from some suffering. Hello, John. Uh, this one you were saying that uh, when you listen to the Dharma talk, uh, you have to get to understand it and then you can practice it. Well, yesterday I tried to not pay full attention to the talk and uh, I noticed uh, I just hear the sound only when you're speaking and then the translation I can uh, hear the word, but I don't know whether I understand what you're talking about. Well, I think Kalyana was doing the translation. But anyway, you know, at the end of the talk, it, I, I just feel that when the talk finished, like it's all blank. Even up to now, I still cannot remember what you were talking last night. So, I don't know. <laughs> Says all of uh, the purpose of our practice is to get to the point where the mind is letting go of things, letting go of defilements, uh, wrong thinking, and thinking that takes us to suffering, all our craving, all our attachment. Um, whenever we have sense contact and the, the defilements arise from that, we're practicing to let go of them to get to a place where the mind is still free from suffering and experiencing what we call emptiness. So whether you listen to a Dhamma talk, take away what you've heard, contemplate it, and that helps you to practice to get to that point, or whether just in the process of listening to a Dhamma talk, you're actually doing that. You're listening, just hearing the sound, knowing the sense contact, letting it go, bringing the mind back to a state of stillness or emptiness, uh, where although you can't remember the words that were spoken, but you have that sense of emptiness and the mind is aware, there's present moment awareness, uh, that's perfectly valid and that's a, a good way to practice, it's the correct way to practice, so uh, don't worry about that. If you can't remember the words but you reach a sense of the mind's feeling still but aware and empty of everything, then that's good, that's what you're aiming for. Hello um, please don't be discouraged. This is what you're experiencing is something very good. It's the um the beginnings of the mind experiencing states of peace and samadhi. Um, the sense of stillness or emptiness that arises but it doesn't last very long because you're still in the beginning stages of practice and you need to do it more and if you keep putting in regular effort in your practice you should find that um, these states these times where the mind seems to be more peaceful, more calm and has let things go and come to a sense of emptiness these will last longer and it will seem to be more deeper, more profound as you go on in your practice. Um, at the moment, if you if you have those states arise and they don't last very long, don't think that it's just because you're noticing them, they suddenly disappear because you're noticing them, that's not correct. It's just because you're, the strength of your mindfulness and all the other different factors in your practice is still not very well developed. And what you need to do is go back and look, well, when today I had 
period of peace in my meditation, what were the causes that led up to that? How was I meditating? What was I doing that brought that peace? And you learn that way. You learn how to meditate successfully that way. What, what, what is the good way to meditate? And the more you learn that, the more experience you have in the practice, then those states of peace will last longer. They'll become more profound. And you might find sometimes you get a state of peace that doesn't just last a few moments, but it'll last the whole of your meditation. Sometimes you might even find those states of peace last all day, um, because your meditation is getting more deeper and, and your mindfulness is more sustained. But just keep practicing and putting the efforts in, and you'll find the results will improve as you go along. Okay. Sometimes we will give us the instructions that uh now we do our meditation, say, uh, we should do contemplation after we come out of the body. So, uh, my question is, uh, is this the correct uh, appropriate instruction? And the second question is, should we have an object for contemplation before we uh, enter the body? or we select uh, any object that comes to our mind after we come out of mind. There are really two correct approaches to the practice of meditation. Uh, the first, as you described, learning to focus the mind on a meditation object, just developing mindfulness, continuous mindfulness on your meditation object until the mind calms down and becomes concentrated and dropped all distractions uh, as we say samadhi arises and then coming out of that state one comes to a, a state where one can contemplate and one turns one's attention to this body uh, and contemplates the body to see the unattractive side of the body to see the impermanence the unsatisfactoriness and the lack of self or ownership real ownership of this body that's um, one correct method. The other method is what we call uh, wisdom training samadhi. Rather than developing samadhi and then going on to develop wisdom, we, we use wisdom to develop samadhi. Um, so when we sit down to meditate or we're walking meditation, we actually go straight to training the mind in contemplation. And using the mind, I think the thinking power of the mind to contemplate the Dhamma, and again we turn to contemplate this body uh, to see that this body is the nature of this body is it's impermanent, it's changing, it grows up, it's changing, it's growing older, and one day it's going to die. And to see the unsatisfactoriness in this body, it's, it can't give us lasting happiness, lasting satisfaction, and to see the lack of self in this body, we can't. Uh, own this body forever, it's going to break up. It's made up of the four elements and eventually those four elements will break apart and go back to nature. Contemplating like this will bring the mind to, to more states of peace and calm. It will help us to let go of the normal ways and distractions that we have and it can bring us to the point where we're ready to just develop samadhi, deep samadhi. Uh, maybe having contemplated for a while like this, the mind is peaceful, then we just go into a state of samadhi. Then coming out of that state, we might contemplate the body again. The same thing, contemplating it again thoroughly, contemplating the nature of this body, the dukkha anatta. And that, might, that contemplation might bring us to an even deeper state of peace and calm. And you have this effect of contemplating developing samadhi and calm, then contemplating again, developing samadhi, sort of um, alternating, you might say. Both ways are correct, just developing samadhi and then contemplating is correct. Using contemplation to develop samadhi is correct. They're both, they're both valid ways of practice. The important thing is, you're developing, whether you're developing just straight samadhi through the practice of samatha, samatha focusing on an object, or you're developing contemplation, you're aiming to calm the mind, let go of distracted thinking, uh, all the worries, the concerns of the mind, and bring the mind to a sense of peace where there's a sense of inner happiness and interest and joy in the practice. And that's a sign that the, the mind is becoming peaceful. Follow-up question, uh, in the second method that we uh, use the 
in medicine contemplate? Uh, how do we ensure that uh, our contemplation is correct, that we don't end up with uh, thinking? So what, whatever method uh, we are practicing, we have to learn to um, become experienced and skilled in observing our mind and observing the results of our efforts. So if we're contemplating the Dharma, contemplating this body and each of Dukkanita, but we find the results is that we're proliferating more, thinking uh, distracted thoughts and not really focusing on the Dharma, then it's a sign we need to do something. So at that point you might just direct the mind to the breath and not try and think of anything at all, just focus on the breath going in and out uh, as a way to calm that distracted state of mind. Or whether you're somebody who's just trying to develop awareness on the breath, not thinking much, but you, you can't stay with the breath and your mind is proliferating, going all over the place, then it's time you maybe have to, at that point, start to contemplate to deal with that. So you have to become skilled in observing your mind and observing the fruits of your effort, the results of your effort, what's happening. If it's becoming more peaceful, more calm, then will continue what you're doing. If you're becoming more agitated, more restless, more distracted, then you need to do something. And that might be just a change of posture. You might be sitting and you're thinking a lot all over the place and maybe you get up and start walking meditation. You might find that change of posture helps bring mindfulness back to the present moment. Or if you're walking and you're thinking a lot or try and you can't do anything about it or try changing posture, come and sit down. Uh, if you're with the breath and nothing's working, it won't stay with the breath or try contemplating the body on each Dukkha Anatta or some aspect of our half-body and our candors. If that's not working, you maybe go back to the breath and you become skilled like this in, in observing the mind and seeing what it needs at, at each time to, to deal with the, the distracted thoughts that are coming. Hello, John. Is it okay during one um, the method that maybe um, you do the something of the breath and then you do you cannot concentrate and then you move on to a different you know, a different way. Is, is that okay? Yes, there are different um, techniques you can't stay with the breath, you might then turn to contemplate the body to give your mind some work to do, to focus on the body, trying to bring up the different parts of the body, visualize them, contemplate them, not, uh, see them in terms of their anicca, and that, by doing, giving your mind work like that, contemplating, you might bring it back to a sense of calm and ease. Or if that's not working, you might just just try reciting the word buddho, and just recite it over and over again silently to yourself and do it quite fast, just put over because when you do that you're not giving your mind the chance to think of anything, you just have to do that for a while and that might bring you back to the present moment. So you can try these different uh, techniques to deal with different states of mind you're experiencing. Some of you have a long way to travel so perhaps we'll leave it there tonight and you have to, still have to get home so you can go to work tomorrow.